Hi, you're listening to Expressing Motherhood. My name is Lindsay Cavett, and I'm the producer and director of Expressing Motherhood. So thanks for tuning in to our podcast. Um, you're about to listen to one of our performers from our most recent January Los Angeles show, Annie Vovin. And Annie has been a really big supporter of Expressing Motherhood for about four years now. And she lives on the west side. She lives in the beach communities, the South Bay. And the show's been on the east side for about a year now. And she drives far, anyway, to come and support the show. She's just one of those people. And so it was really exciting that she decided to submit and be in the show. Annie is a pharmacist. Whoops, a pharmacist turned lifestyle photographer turned boss mom of Avenue Mama. As the youngest of seven children, married to a fella who happens to be the youngest of seven children, Annie feels most at home when she is surrounded by people. She is the ENFP, Enneagram Challenger, and a Target $1 bin enthusiastic. She is an ENFP, that's what I meant. Okay. She always orders empanadas if they are on the menu, and she can recite the lines to when Harry met Sally while being sad that they just don't make movies like this anymore. And you can find Annie. She hosts these workshops for moms um, on self-care, and that's through Avenue Mama, which you can find on Instagram, of course. Um, She says after she experienced total devastation of losing her father, her father-in-law and nanny, and then having two miscarriages and a mom with cancer all within the last 18 months, Annie very much feels like life is not a dress rehearsal. Her mission is to remind moms that yes, mom guilt is real, but so are your dreams. She loves interior design and refuses to stop shopping at Forever 21 or Target, even though she is in her 40s because she has champagne tastes on a beer budget. Annie geeks out on self-care, manifestations, and affirmations. If you'd like to geek out with her, you can find her at Annie Vovin or Avenue Mama. And so here is Annie with Expressing Motherhood. Thanks. I sat my pregnant, sweaty ass down on the only spot of shade I could find. It was late in my second pregnancy a girl this time. And we were house hunting in Manhattan Beach, and I stopped at a park with my boy to beat the LA traffic. A six-year-old kid named Ryan took a liking to my son, and soon they were running back and forth across a wobbly wooden bridge in the park. What was remarkable with his nanny, and she was his watchful shadow. I was impressed by her. We started chatting. Gosh, I really appreciate what you're doing for this kid. I desperately need a nanny myself. Well, Ryan's a lot older than your son, and I just wanted to make sure he's not too rough. I don't know if it was the hormones, but I pleaded to her. I said, I wish I had someone like you in my life. Um, Do you know anyone looking for some work? Actually, she said, Ryan starts school in a few weeks, so I'll be available. It's like the nanny gods had answered my prayer. Her name was Marina. She was from El Salvador. She was a single mom with a 21-year-old son in college studying biology. She joined her family as soon as my daughter was born. She shared how in El Salvador, moms rest in bed for 40 days after childbirth, while sisters and aunties care um, about the mom, and your mother cares for you as well. Can you imagine that? So beautiful. My mom was consumed caring for my father, who was very sick at the time. So Marina, she became my rock. She was everything to me. 
So you can only imagine how shocked she was when my hormonal, hormonal sleepy-assed self threw my son a birthday party less than two weeks after I delivered a baby. And I guess people just don't tell you that your heart longs to be with your toddler as well as your newborn. And my kids are 23 months apart. My husband will say they're two years apart, and I say, no, 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 they were 23 months apart. Because two under two is really hard, and no one tells you that at all. But she never judged me for getting out of bed early those 30 days. She just nurtured me every single day. Turns out Marina was an amazing cook. She cooked for us as well. She also worked at Smart and Final, and sometimes she worked at Ryan's family as well. There was something heavenly about her scrambled eggs, a mix of cilantro, sautéed onions, and tomatoes. I begged for her recipe, and she somehow knew to leave me an egg sandwich, sometimes on the days I needed it most. We talked about her son. She loved to cook for him as well. Her priority was for him to focus on his studies. He wanted to be a neurologist, a doctor um, who studied the brain function. She was so proud to show me the dress she was picking out for his upcoming college graduation. It was this rich blue A-line dress with this thin black belt. She asked me if she should wear flats or heels, like she was going on a blind date or something. She decided that she was going to wear heels, and she looked fabulous. On December 18, 2006, a series of heartbreaking phone calls were about to happen in my life. On that day, we got the dread of call that my father-in-law had suffered a stroke and was in the emergency room. Marina had already been working so much for us, double time in fact, because my own father was in the ICU, ICU as well. My father-in-law passed away a few days later. And then on December 23rd, Marina gave our kids Christmas presents, and she started on her much-deserved holiday break. And a few days later, she texted me to say she wasn't feeling well and that she may not be back with our family just then. And I said, absolutely, take your time. But then I didn't hear from her, so I decided to call. And she sounded really out of it. She said that her neck was in pain. And even though she took meds, it wouldn't go away. I told her, take all the time you need. The next day, I didn't hear from her, so I called her again. But this time, I didn't get Marin on the phone. I got a male voice on the line, and it was her son. Marina suffered a brain aneurysm, secondary to meningitis, and she was in a coma. Her neck pain made so much sense now. He'd been carrying her cell phone around, unable to unlock it, and was expecting my call. Marina was on a ventilator when I got to the ICU. I held her hand, and I told her I loved her so much, and I wish that I had told her that more, and wish that we all told each other how much we loved each other more, in fact. And a few days after those days in the hospital, hoping she would recover, my father-in-law's funeral, I got the dreaded call that Marina had died. And I raced down to the 4 or 5 freeway to see my own dad in the ICU. It was just a tough season, not too long ago. And then there was the one dreaded phone call that I had to make. I had to call Ryan's mom, the boy in the park's mom. Marina had been their nanny for five years. So the last time I saw Marina, she was lying in a casket, wearing this beautiful, rich, blue A-line dress with a skinny black belt. And if you were ever on the fence to think that a stranger could not love your children or take care of them the way you would, let Marina be the possibility. And every so often, I'll call her son. And I find it beautiful that he wants to be a neurologist, a doctor for the brain, no less. A deeply empathetic one, I'm sure. This part of my season of motherhood happened in the last two years. My dad did pass away about a year and a half ago. And looking back, I didn't need those 40 postpartum days in bed with a house full of women caring for me. I just needed support without judgment a plate of scrambled eggs, and just one morena.